Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. So, the last cartel book is literally like a bad summer action movie like as soon as you walk out the theater you barely remember what happened because I can barely remember what happened and when I tell you that I'm reading this next book two days after I finished the first book that's not a good sign um I know that Yasmin got buried alive for fuck all reasons like me and more really really this is what we're doing because Really, we're not investigating anything. I'm still hot about that. I'm still hot about how they handled that. Like, you don't investigate shit. You don't believe your man about nothing. Like, he doesn't remember anything, which is convenient enough for you to murder her. But you're just murdering somebody whose dad is half owner of your casino. Like, seriously, when somebody is half owner of your your casino... That leads to a bit of grace. Like, that leads to a few conversations before you just murder their daughter. So, she murdered her. And now, they're all on the run. Except for, Mia Moore comes back because Carter gets shot with a sniper rifle by Fly Boogie. Who literally falls so far in love with Mia Moore that it's troubling. But, Carter doesn't die. Fly Boogie, who Mia Moore has said frequently throughout this book, has never shot anybody in his life prior to, never killed anybody in his life prior to making these four snitch niggas hang themselves, um, pulls out a sniper rifle and shoots Carter square in the chest and then says, I was rushed. I should have shot him in the head, bitch ass nigga. Um, has a tattoo of Mia Moore's ha- name around his wrist. Um... Goes to see Carter, and Carter sees a tattoo around his wrist, and Fly Boogie uh, is about to get told about himself when all of a sudden they find out there's a fucking ambush of, um, well, Yasmin's dad and a whole bunch of riders, and all of a sudden we get real racist. (laughs) There's a bunch of turbans outside. So, 
now Fly Boogie somehow changes into a nurse's outfit. As I'm saying this, I'm starting to remember what happened and I'm rolling my eyes. He changes into a nurse's outfit and is able to escape, goes back home, goes into his house. Somehow, murder survived being stabbed in the neck and dying in front of Mia Moore. And murder's in the house. Murder's in the house. Murder's in the house. And he... Tells Fly Boogie, I hired you to kill Carter. When? When did this happen? When? There was no talk of him making a telephone call before he hopped on that plane to the Bahamas. Um, but I hired you to kill uh, Carter. And instead, you... Uh, the fuck is this tattoo on your wrist? Oh, you in love with me and more too, huh? And he's like, yeah, but I'll do better. And Murder's like, I'll do it myself. Did I miss anything? Oh yeah, five or eight years go by in a flash of four chapters. I don't know. The Cartel Six, The Demise. <sighs> Chapter One. Monroe leaned over the hospital bed. His fingers tinted under his forehead as Carter lay before him. Why do they always the fingers tinted? Is that is that that's I don't know anybody who really has their who does that with their heads. I mean, I can see you putting your elbow uh, on your cheek and sitting there. I can see you putting your hand on your cheek or on your forehead, but the fingers tinted thing. I'm trying it right now, and it's really fucking uncomfortable. The fingers tinted. I know it's like a gangster pose, but really all you're doing is putting fingernails in your forehead and you, you, nobody's taking pictures of you, nigga. Cut that shit out. Monroe leaned over the hospital bed, his fingers tinted under his forehead as Carter lay before him. This was bad. The entire future of the cartel is at jeopardy. No, it isn't. If you think this nigga's going to die, you stupid as fuck. It's the first fucking page. War was imminent and Monroe was very well aware that they would be on the losing end. It was a numbers game, and in the grand scheme of things, Baraka was more powerful. He had a bigger motivation to win. He had lost his daughter at the hands of Carter's own wife. Baraka's shooters had the entire hospital surrounded, phone lines cut, cell service jammed, and Monroe was feeling like prey. Always, he had been the hunter, the predator, the one with the most skin in the game. But on this day, the tables had turned. Also, how did Baraka find out his daughter was dead? Did they leave her with the cell phone inside the uh, coffin that they buried her alive in? Did they, does he check in on her every day? And if she doesn't answer, he knows will immediately come to America to get her. Did she send out a tweet? Like what exactly, how did he know? I don't get that part either. You think Fly made it out? Monroe asked. I think Fly Boogie's the last motherfucker we could count on, Carter replied. He didn't follow with an explanation. He could barely speak. The pierced lung made it hard for him to say any more than a few words before running out of breath. He was tired and cornered. Trapped, for the first time in his life, he felt hopeless. Carter wasn't naive to the fact this very well could be the day he died. This morphine they putting in my veins got me off, money. I could barely get my thoughts together, let alone fend off Baraka's men. I'm floating, man. Monroe could tell that Carter was on cloud nine, probably because he just told you. 
It was the only way for the doctors to decrease his pain. But Monroe needed Carter lucid. Their lives depended on it. He rushed around the bed to the IV and pulled it out, causing blood to trickle down Carter's forearm. The monitor blared loudly, and a nurse rushed into the room at the sounds of alarm. What are you doing? She asked she rushed over to bandage Carter's arm. We need to get out of here now. I'm sorry. I already told you. You can't take him tonight. Wait. Nurse? When they called this woman in the first time, she was an accomplished surgeon. Is it Uchiwali or is it one Mike? Or did you just forget what you said in the last book and didn't go back to read it? Because they said that a very accomplished surgeon, her, they also described her skin tone, saved his life. Now she's a nurse. And now, Monroe grabbed her upper arm and forcefully led her to the window. He pulled the drawstring for the blinds. You see that? He asked. The nurse's eyes widened in surprise at the men outside the hospital. They were cloaked in expensive thobes, which made them stand out immediately. Why do they have that in uh, italics? Do they want me to look up what the fuck thobes are? It's, it, it's the clothing that Arabian men wear. Like, I don't understand why they put it in fucking italics. Like, it's something special or different. Are they proud of themselves? Like, what? Their Middle Eastern garb revealing their foreign roots. Those men are armed, and any minute now they're going to come in here after us. I need you to patch him up, because with or without your permission, we got to get him out of here, Monroe said honestly. There were at least a hundred men outside. The nurse looked up at him, and Monroe could see the look of terror and uncertainty in her eyes. I can call the police. By the time they get here, several lives will have already been lost, Monroe said. The nurse walked over to Carter with shaky hands and sat him up. He can't walk. You'll have to wheel him out. If he goes the entire night without a doctor, he'll die. So as soon as you get wherever you're going, find medical help. He still has morphine running through his veins, and once that wears off, there'll be unbearable pain, she said as she wrapped additional gauze around Carter's already bandaged wound. His bandages will soak through within the next few hours. They have to be changed to avoid infection, she urged. I can lose my job. I have four babies. I can't believe you won't, Monroe said. You'll be compensated for your willingness to help. Carter grabbed her wrist and looked her in the eyes. I'm good. Go home to your children. Leave right now, he said. Even in his weakest state, he oozed authority. The nurse looked at him with tears in her eyes. She didn't know what was about to happen or the exact severity of why it was happening. She couldn't even see the guns that Baraka's men had hidden under the folds of her long drapes. But somehow, terror still filled her. She nodded and retreated from the room. Before Carter or Monroe could follow, Baraka entered the room, flanked by two goons who didn't hide the pistols they held at their sides. Baraka stood in front of the men, the only one dressed in a tailored French suit. Going somewhere? Baraka asked. He clasped his hands in front of his body as he looked directly at Carter. You're not looking too well, my friend, he added. Or can I even call you that anymore? Considering my only daughter has gone missing on your watch. His voice turned sinister as he added, Where is she? Her liaison hasn't seen her. She hasn't checked in. She knows my army crosses seas as she missed even one phone call to me. So she is habitual, almost down to the second with contacting me. It's been one week and nothing. I'm going to give you 60 seconds to tell me what happened. 
So when she got kidnapped, she didn't call. He didn't come running. He didn't ride. He didn't care. He cared, but he wasn't coming. She's dead, Carter admitted. Even in his fragile state, he wasn't one to mince words or back down. The words seemed to suck the air out of Baraka's lungs. Baraka didn't flinch, but Carter noticed the change in the man's eyes. An extreme sorrow and anger swept over him. The last time she was seen, she had gotten a phone call from your wife to meet her, Baraka said, his voice searching for answers. You lie here shot. You tell me my daughter is dead. Tell me who's responsible for this chain of events. I take full responsibility for what has happened here, Baraka. I'm responsible. There's no one else to blame, Carter said, his breath so short that he could barely choke out the words. I didn't directly cause this, but it's because of me. Who murdered my daughter? Baraka's voice boomed this time, causing Money's finger to curl around the trigger of his gun. He raised it without thinking twice as Baraka's men raised their own. Lower your weapon, Money. Carter said. This man's only child was murdered. I know the cost to pay for that. Monroe frowned, but didn't move. Money! Carter barked his tension thick in the room. Old friend, Carter said as he stared Baraka in his eyes sincerely. I know the cost to pay. Baraka's eyes glistened with emotion as he replied. You're too quick to admit your guilt. I know that you did not directly harm my child. You're protecting someone, and if that's the case, I don't want you. I want to cut the hands off the man who laid hands on my daughter, Yasmin. I want revenge. I deserve revenge. Who are you protecting? Tell me. Carter stood firm. There was no way he was going to throw out Mia Moore's name. There are very few people a man will lay down his life for. Carter could see Baraka putting the pieces to this complicated puzzle together in his head. Your wife? Carter kept a stone face, but he knew Baraka's assumption wasn't a question. Had Mia Moore been any other woman, the notion wouldn't even have risen. But her history made her different. She wasn't a homemaker. She didn't sit on the PTA or bake cookies. She wasn't like most women who played wifey but had no knowledge of her husband's street ties. Mia Moore was a murder mama, and her reputation preceded her. She had earned her own respect before she and Carter had even met. She was ruthless, and under different circumstances, a man like Baraka would have retained her services. But today, he found himself the victim of her hot head. I want her, Baraka said. I want the woman who killed my little girl. A look of bewilderment crossed Monroe's face, because he knew Baraka was asking for the one thing that Carter would refuse to give him. He contemplated shooting Baraka. Right then and there, I could just end this shit right now, he thought. I could just... Stand down, Monroe, Carter said sternly, holding up a hand as if reading its brother's mind. Fuck, Monroe thought. Ain't no time for honor right now. I can't do that, Carter said to Baraka. They were at a point of no return. Too much had happened for them to ever coexist. Baraka had hung men from the streetlights in Saudi Arabia for even lusting after this precious Yasmin. The consequences for her death would be felt worldwide. There was no way Carter would hand Mia Moore over to Baraka. Yasmin was Baraka's princess, but Mia Moore was Carter's queen. He would protect her at all costs, right or wrong.
I urge you to reconsider, Rocket said. His voice was calm, but anger danced in his eyes. Spit pulled in the corners of Baraka's mouth as he thought of how he would peel the meat from Miyamore's bones. Be very aware that what you do now will decide your fate for the next 20 years. Your children's fate. Your grandchildren's fate. One sacrifice can stop this. No more have to die if you give up this one woman. I'm sorry it's come to this, Carter said sincerely. Rage pulsed through Baraka, and Carter braced himself for a barrage of bullets that would end him right then and there. Then, to a surprise, Baraka said, War amongst great men has always been over unworthy women. Good luck to you, Carter. With that, he was gone, and Carter exhaled, realizing he had been holding his breath in anticipation. War was about to erupt, and Carter knew that it was one they would lose. He just couldn't give her up. Under any and all circumstances, he had to hold her down. He was never going to turn around and desert her. He would never make her cry. He would never say goodbye. He would never say goodbye. Okay, fine. This time, everyone would pay for his loyalty to her. Anyone associated with me and more would feel Baraka's wrath. No one was off limits. Why the fuck ain't she picking up? Murder asked as he watched Fly Boogie call Mia Moore for the fourth time. Nigga, I told you I don't know. Wherever she is, she should be good until we find her. Carter probably got her and the kids tucked somewhere on the outskirts. This shit's all bad, though. Shit's about to get real, Fly Boogie said as he stood to his feet. You mean to tell me you've been out in this motherfucker kissing ass all this time and you don't know where they take her in an emergency? Murder asked a glint of anger behind his harsh stare. Nigga, this shit ain't no corner boy operation. We got a hundred hideouts. She could be on a fucking plane to the middle of nowhere by now, Fly Boogie stated angrily as he dialed her once again. We, huh? Murder asked with a chuckle. That motherfucker Carter must got the gift of gab. He be seducing all you simple-minded motherfuckers. You ain't cartel, homie. You better remember that. Okay, so wait. Murder got out of jail, and immediately after he got out of jail, he started trying to murder niggas all over again. But don't you got a fucking parole agent? Ain't you on parole? Like, nigga, what? Ain't you got something? Like, you can't just be stomping through the streets murdering niggas again. I mean, I guess he can, but still. It don't work like that. Fly knew that after Carter had discovered Mia Moore's name on his wrist, nothing could ever go back to being the same. He couldn't lie his way back into the inner circle. Fly Boogie's lust for Mia Moore had caused him to cross a line, and now his loyalty was questionable. Fly had taken a shot at Carter and missed, and although no one knew he was the man behind the gun, the tattoo had exposed him as a snake. There was no coming back from that. Over the years, he had forgotten about Murder's agenda and had developed one of his own. He had gotten so close to Carter that he respected him. It wasn't until the men had gone away to Saudi Arabia and Fly Boogie's feelings for Mia Moore grew that he developed malice for Carter. He wanted him out the way, not for murder's sake, but for his own. He had never thought twice about murder catching up to him. Fly had thought murder was somewhere rotting away in Miami, but when he reemerged in Las Vegas, Fly Boogie knew he had a debt to pay. He regretted the day that he even agreed to infiltrate the cartel, because now there was no taking it back. Chapter 2 We gotta get out of here. 
Panic was normally not a trait that Monroe Diamond possessed. But as he went to the door and peeked his head into the hall, an uneasiness took over the pit of his stomach. Stay here, Monroe said as he eased into the hall. He walked swiftly until he spotted an idle wheelchair. He was so paranoid, sweat covered his forehead. His anxiety made it feel like someone had turned the thermostat up a 100 degrees. He half expected Baraka's goons to come through the door at any moment. He rushed back into the room and helped Carter out of the hospital bed. Come on, fam. We gotta move, Monroe said. Ah! Carter groaned as pain erupted through his body. He put his arm around Monroe's shoulder, bearing his weight down on him, unable to stand. I can't feel my legs, bro. I'm in no condition to run, money. He hadn't even made it to the hallway yet, and already he was winded. Carter was hurt. Bad. They both knew that in his condition, he was a liability. Truth is, I wouldn't run if I could, fam. If this is what it's come to, then let it be. There's no reason why we both have to die tonight, money. Mia Moore is my bitch. This is my debt. Get out of here, bro. Monroe struggled to help Carter to the wheelchair at the foot of the bed. Nah, bruh. He huffed as he carried Carter's dead weight. Ain't no selfish sacrifice shit happening tonight. We both getting out of here. He adjusted Carter's feet and then took an anxious breath as he turned to retrieve the pistol from the hospital bed. I know you fucked up right now, but that trigger finger still work, right? Carter grimaced, then answered, Always. Monroe passed the burner to Carter, who laid it in his lap, safety off. Carter placed a small towel over his lap to conceal the gun as Monroe rolled him out the room. Monroe's head might as well have been sitting on a swivel. He couldn't help but keep his eyes bouncing around as he and Carter made their way down the hall. Baraka was in the States, which meant an entire Arabian army had made the trip with them. The cartel was on the brink of a war. They had barely survived the beef with the Haitians, and now this. With Carter severely injured and Zaire in the wind, Monroe knew it was only a matter of time before everything they had worked so hard to get back to crumbled. Monroe stood over Carter, clasping the handle to his wheelchair, impatience torturing him as the elevator slowly rose up to their floor. The gun holstered in his waistline gave him little assurance, because he knew that when Baraka came, he was coming with soldiers. Two guns against armed assassins would do nothing to protect him. He and Carter were sitting ducks in the hospital. The hairs on the back of his neck stood up as his internal alarm sounded. He was just waiting for someone to put a bullet in his back. You alright bro? He asked Carter. I'll be better when we get out of here, Carter replied, grunting in obvious pain. Just hold on, Monroe said as the elevator light finally illuminated. The doors opened, and Monroe hesitated when he saw two uniformed police officers standing inside. He hated pigs, but he stepped inside, easing the wheelchair in first. Gentlemen, he greeted them. They nodded, but didn't respond as Monroe pressed the lobby button. Tension made the air thick, and Monroe cleared his throat as silence filled the space. It didn't matter that they had done nothing wrong. They were the bad guys, the drug dealers, the kingpins. In the presence of the law, they were always under a microscope. The elevator descended to a stop at the fifth floor, and Monroe clenched his jaw. I just want to get out of this motherfucker, he thought, anxiety filling him. When the doors opened, his back stiffened as he stared into the eyes of two men. He knew right away they were Baraka-affiliated. It wasn't their black hair or their olive skin that gave him away. 
It wasn't even the traditional Middle Eastern cloaks they wore, but the look of vengeance in their eyes. Money, this is our floor, Carter said weakly, instantly recognizing the threat as well. Not quite. We're almost there, Monroe stated, refusing to get off the elevator. He knew the men couldn't pop off with the two officers around. The safest place to be was wherever those officers were, or so he thought. The Arab men stepped inside, stone-faced, and as soon as the doors closed, two silent shots floored the officers before Monroe even had a chance to draw his pistol. Moments of life flashed before Monroe's eyes as he stared down the dark barrels of the gun. This was it. After reigning over Miami, transitioning to Vegas, prison, evading the law, surviving a coma, this was how it was going to end. The day of reckoning had arrived. He placed a firm hand on Carter's shoulder, who sat stoically. They weren't the type of men to beg, to fear. They had lived their lives a certain way, followed the rules to a gangster's code. Now, they had to die according to it, and even in the face of the devil, gangsters didn't fold. Monroe could feel his heart beating rapidly as he anticipated the final bullet. See you on the other side, brother, Carter said. Suddenly, the doors to the elevator slid open. Ari stood, gun smoking, still aimed as she breathed heavily from the adrenaline pumping through her veins. The hospital erupted into a frenzy. She hadn't hesitated. There had been no time to silence her weapon. If she had thought twice, Monroe and Carter would be dead. You gonna get your asses out the elevator, or you gonna stand there looking crazy? Ari said urgently as she looked around. Baraka's goons are everywhere. We have an ambulance waiting in an emergency. We have to go. Now. Monroe had never been so happy to see Ari's murderous face in his life. I could kiss you right now, he muttered as he followed her down the hall. Please don't, she shot back with a smirk. She rounded the corner, only to halt at the sight of Baraka's men entering the building. There was nothing incognito about them. They came in, guns drawn, as if they made the laws themselves. This way, she said, turning around and running in the opposite direction. The light suddenly went out, and chaos erupted. Gunfire exploded, and bullets flew their way. The Arabs were reckless in their assault. It didn't matter that they were in public, or that there were innocent bystanders all around. They had declared war on the cartel. Ares ran as Monroe tried to maneuver Carter through the hospital while people ran for cover. Yeah, that was the other racist thing that they said. Terrorists. They're going to send terrorists. Really? Monroe suddenly stopped running. Fuck it. If it's going to happen, I won't get clipped with a bullet to the back. Get him out of here. I'll cover you, he stated. Money. No. Carter whispered weakly as his head hung low, his chin touching his chest. Ares knew that if she had to make a choice, she would have to save Carter. Me and Moore would never forgive her if she let him die. Ain't no time for thinking. Go, Money stated. He reached down and grabbed the gun out of Carter's lap and then quickly unholstered his own. With a pistol in each hand, he rounded the corner and popped off, firing bullets as he diverted the Arab's attention. Monroe went left, going in the opposite direction as Ares hustled her ass out of there, pushing Carter swiftly down the hall. She burst through the emergency room doors. The ambulance that had hijacked was waiting there, engine running. Me and more, she yelled. Help me! Ares rushed to the back of the vehicle and pulled the doors open. Her heart dropped when she found Mia Moore sitting at gunpoint at the hands of a hired Arabian goon. Shoot him! Mia Moore shouted. You won't believe this, y'all. This is me. 
These niggas done cut and pasted some Arabic words into the book. They don't even know what they say because they put the same thing twice. And when I tried to run a translate on them, all that came back was an object code indicating that this was text used from someone else cut and pasted into their book. Seriously. So, since they did not give us anything to run by on this one, and I don't want to say anything or post anything in here that would actually be disrespectful to any Arab listeners, I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to say the man shouted something in Arabic as he pointed his gun at Mia Moore's temple while holding her in a chokehold. Mia Moore is the one that y'all supposed to be killing in the first place. Why are you waiting? Why are you waiting? Like, Baraka knows Mia Moore's the one who murdered his daughter. You have Mia Moore at gunpoint. Why didn't you shoot? Don't hold the gun. Shoot the gun. Don't hold the knife. Throw the knife. What are we doing? Kill him, Ares. Shoot him. Now, Mia Moore shouted. The man barked his orders, and although Ares didn't understand them, she clearly read the look of malice in his eyes. He was ready to commit murder, but not yet. Like, he could have committed murder before he even got there. He had her in a chokehold. If he was ready to commit murder, you know what he would have done? He would have committed a fucking murder. He would have He would have made a body. He would have had a body on him. And Mia Moore would have been gone, and she would have needed the ambulance. But nope. She had already lost so many of her friends. She didn't want to see Mia Moore get her brains blown out in front of her. She straightened her trigger finger and let the gun dangle from it as she raised both arms. Ares! Mia Moore shouted. The man pointed his gun at Ares, and just as his finger curled on the trigger, Carter pulled the gun out of Ares' back waistline. He was weak, but he was always accurate. He fired. How the fuck did he know that Ares had a gun in, his, in her back waistline, and how did she know that he was going to do that? She literally just gave up. The man's body jerked violently as a bullet to the forehead sent him flying onto his back. Miamore rushed to Carter's side, kneeling before him as she cupped his face, kissing him repeatedly. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Carter. The way that they nuzzled into each other's face reminded Ares of two lions. Each of them was powerful in her own right, but they were each other's weakness. Feels like I'm dying, Ma, he whispered. His words sent a chill down her spine, and then a tear fell down her cheek. I won't let that happen, baby. I swear. Let's get him up here, Ari said, interrupting the moment, as a sound of gunshots and police sirens broke through the air. Mia Moore and Ari struggled to lift Carter into the ambulance without hurting him. Ah! Fuck! Take it easy! He shouted in pain as they managed to get him inside. Mia Moore climbed into the back of the ambulance as Ari rushed to the driver's seat. Money's still inside, Carter said as they pulled away from the curb. Don't move this fucking ambulance without my brother. We have to, Carter, Miamore whispered. There's too many of them. If we go back in... Miamore stopped talking because they both knew what was happening. They were about to lose another diamond. She gripped Carter's hand and it didn't go unnoticed when he didn't squeeze hers back. Miamore was the cause of all this. She knew it. So did he. Their entire empire was in jeopardy. This war was her fault. Carter struggled to breathe as he attempted to stand up out of the wheelchair. No, Carter, you have to sit. Miamore urged as she steadied him just in the nick of time. He couldn't make it from the wheelchair to his desk. He was hurt bad and sweating profusely. You're trying to do too much. 
Just tell me what you need. Call Monroe, he ordered. Okay, okay, Mia Moore replied as she immediately dialed the number. Carter took three deep breaths and then managed to pull himself to his feet as he walked through the penthouse suite towards his office. It felt like he was running a marathon. His heart and lungs burned as if he were in full sprint. Carter, no, Mia Moore said as she brought the wheelchair up behind him and he eased back into it. He was so weak, it was humbling and frustrating all at the same time. He wasn't running anything, not in his current state. Money isn't answering, Mia Moore said, her voice solemn, assuming his death. Carter closed his eyes. Her words were like knives stabbing him as he thought of his brother's fate. Monroe was the only blood brother he had left. It had taken a lot from them to put their differences aside and band together as a family. If anyone was supposed to sacrifice himself for the other, it was supposed to be Carter. He was the oldest. He was the strongest. It was his wife who had started this war. So, <laughs> they just ain't gonna let that one go. They just gonna hold that one over his head. Like, you didn't really start this thing by cheating on her. But, he was the oldest. He was the strongest. And it's all his wife's fault for starting this motherfucker. Like, Monroe wasn't supposed to succumb to it. He didn't deserve to. Carter wanted to place blame, but it wouldn't help. They both knew the deaths to come in the days ahead were on Mia Moore's conscience. Suddenly, a rapid knock at the door interrupted them. Silence fell over them as they shot each other a paranoid glance. Carter put his fingers to his lips and then used his fingers like a gun, telling her to strap up. Baraka owned half the casino. Surely he knew where to find them. They'd have to lock down the entire property in order to keep Baraka and his goons out. It would be damn near impossible to do that, so they need to gather everyone, take what they needed, and find somewhere inconspicuous to gather their thoughts. Mia Moore grabbed her gun and headed towards the door. Mia, put down the fucking gun and open the door, Ares hissed. She already knew the routine. Mia Moore was on edge, which meant that she had an itchy trigger finger. It was only a matter of time before she popped off. It was what she did when her back was against the wall. Mia Moore breathed a sigh of relief and snatched open the door. When she saw Monroe standing next to Ares, she couldn't stop the tears from welling in her eyes. They weren't necessarily the closest, but she had never been so happy to see him. She placed a hand over her heart in relief. If money had been killed, Carter would have never forgiven her. Look who popped up, Ares said as Monroe walked inside. Good to see you, money, Mia Moore stated. Good to be seen. There's fucking Arabs all over the place. I barely got out of the hospital. We gotta disappear for a while. Regroup, he stated as he rushed over to Carter. Carter was hanging on by a thread as pain doubled him over in his chair. Get Zaire on the line. I want to make sure he and Breeze are safe, he managed. He was sweating profusely and grimacing in excruciation. Is he okay? Aries asked. Carter couldn't breathe. Not deeply. Not enough for him to think clearly. The room began to spin as a burning sensation seared through him and he fell from the wheelchair. Carter, Mia Moore whispered desperately as she knelt in front of him, holding his face in her hands. She looked up at Monroe, feeling empty, as if she were watching the love of her life slip away. Money, this is bad. We need a doctor here now. She sat on the floor and laid Carter's head in her lap. They had never seen Carter so incapacitated. They were in the middle of a war, and if they were going to survive, they needed their general. He had to pull through, not only for his sake, but for Mia Moore's as well. 
916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook, leave a review on Podchaser, copy and paste that in the Apple Podcast, copy and paste that in the Good Pods. Um, you could donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast, uh, or at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast, or on the Good Pods app, you can go ahead and leave a tip. Thank you to everybody who's been listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm out you later. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know by now that you're